Game of Thrones Season 6, Episode 6, Blood of My Blood is over, but we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps, talking about Game of Thrones Live. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler. No Rob Sesternino tonight. He is on his way back from River Run It Up Reno. Last seen asking his airline to hold the door as he raced to make it onto the airplane. But here in his place to save the day out of the cold and into your hands, we have a very special friend, Antonio Mazzaro, joining us. Antonio, what's going on here, man? I like to think I put the special in very special, Josh. We got to get Rob that little finger transport device. I know. Listen, I think everyone could benefit from that. If the whole world was flying as fast as little finger, we would all be in a better place. Yeah. His fingers may be little, but his wings are big. <laughs> but his feet are really fast. Yes. He can go from place to place like crazy. Boy, are my oh, arms tired, Josh. Very tired. Very tired. All right. We are live here on, I guess now Monday morning, East Coast time, Sunday night, West Coast time, a little bit later than usual. Apologies for that. Some technical difficulties if you're watching on the live stream if you're listening to the audio archives no harm no foul we're here as scheduled as promised yeah Uh, but we're here we're talking about game of thrones season six episode six blood of my blood which was like i don't know like the samuel tarley not so happy hour is kind of what we got here tonight antonio yeah the sad hour is it is is just a happy hour that's not happy a sad hour is it a craven hour can we have a craven hour (laughs) i think it was the craven hour so we had the craven detour tonight i don't know how much people were craving you know a samuel tarley episode but that's what we got in a large part tonight lots of other stuff happening too as well of course are you are, are you a fan of just instead of parsing this out over multiple episodes bite by bite taking a big chunk and putting it in one episode like this with the Sam story in right. specific. Yeah, because we've only seen Sam and Gilly once this season, right? And they're on their way, and Sam's throwing up on the boat and everything. Uh, now they're here, and we've got their approach. We've got the dinner. We've got the aftermath all in one episode. Yeah, it was a lot of Sam. And you all know, I love Sam. Sam is one of my favorites. He's my friend. That's a lot of Samwell Tarly. Uh, a this whole episode, lot. This episode had a whole heap of lot of Samwell Tarly. It had some other great stuff in it, too, though. I mean, like, we are, we're talking about the episode where, at long last, one of the oldest theories of all time, one of the biggest mysteries since the beginning of the show, has been resolved. We've been wondering, where the heck is Benjamin Stark? And Benjamin Stark is back. So I feel like, you know, we'll get our we'll work our way up to the Sam stuff. But let's start beyond the wall. Last week's episode was super crazy with everything happening in the door. Wondering how Bran is going to get out of this one. Lots of people speculating maybe Benjamin Stark is going to return to the fray here. Indeed, he did. What was your take on the return of Benjamin Stark? Anthony? Well, not to the fray yet. That would be later no. if he rides south of the wall. No, yeah. the fray returned as well. Stragoy. Well, Stragoy. We'll definitely talk about the fray of it all for sure. Of it all. Of it all. Of it all. Stop. But, but Benjamin's back. This is That's awesome. And back with cold hands, I might add. And by the way, what's Benjamin been eating beyond the wall? He's like a Hurley on Lost kind of thing here. He's put on weight since he's been marooned <laughs> beyond the wall. Are you, sh- are you body shaming Benjamin Stark? There was enough body shaming in this episode of Game of Thrones, Antonio. Eh, a little bit. He's looking Who a little... Who are we to be body shaming anybody? Listen, nobody. But yeah. he looks a little Robert Baratheon, as all I'm going to say. Like, there's right. a little Robert Baratheon in Benjamin Stark. There's he's a lot of well. protein in that bunny blood soup. There must be high in saturated fat yeah you love that bunny blood soup yeah this is great no i'm really happy to see benjamin stark you're right it's been something that's been talked about it's one of kind of the the oldest if you will game of thrones mysteries this goes from the first season or the first book if you will what happened to benjamin stark where is he his horse comes back he's not on it we can't find him we don't know and obviously there's been speculation now for almost 20 years 
about what happens with Benjen Stark. And now we're getting the show's version of how Benjen's coming back into the fold. And this is great. Uh, he is an acolyte of some sort of the Three-Eyed Raven. He knows a lot about what's going on. Maybe not everything that the Three-Eyed Raven knew, but he knows about the mythology of something. He knows kind of he's he's been called and been instructed. And you have talked with Rob a lot on this podcast, Josh, about Maybe the, what did the three-eyed raven know? What was his pedagogy, if right. you will? What, what, what was his method? How was he trying to teach and what and why? And it turns out he's got some other you know, chits in play here uh, in that Benjen Stark was called by the three-eyed raven. Benjen knows about what the importance of the three-eyed raven and can maybe help Bran in more ways than just protecting him by perhaps giving him a little bit of guidance and a little bit of information and finalizing his training. I think this is really great that we've got a character here that can kind of carry that forward without the full mysticism of it, and still really bring that. I think this is awesome. I think it's awesome, too. Really excited. As you said, 20 years of waiting for Benjamin Stark. Just for the book readers, uh, the book readers know this for, for people who don't. He, just like in the show, Benjamin Stark disappears early on in season one. He goes out for a ride. His horse comes back. We never see Benjamin again until we saw him tonight in episode six of season six. And in the books, he disappears in A Game of Thrones, the first book out of five books so far and has yet to return. So this was a surprise for you know just about everybody although i think that there were some people who were reading the tea leaves of somebody's got to help bran lots of theories that are fueled by some of the stuff from the books that it could be benjen could come out of the cold and lend a helping hands to bran stark uh and it turns out that that's what the show did and i thought that that was pretty satisfying it was pretty cool to see uh that guy back in in the swing of things yeah absolutely and i think the show's version will be ultimately different than what we get in the books in some ways there are characters in the show that haven't appeared in the show, I should say, that are in the books. And it felt like this Benjin was a little bit of a combination of that. So I think that that's all great. I think that it rewards the people who read the books uh, and it rewards the people who are show only by bringing a character and putting them in this role. And Bran is still downloading when this all kind of pops off. He's still, it's kind of like, oh, you can't unplug your USB drive yet because your <laughs> files haven't transferred. Right. Yeah. It's like one of those, uh, yeah, it's like one of those moments where you have to like get all the information off of the computer before the bad guy comes and gets you. Like a scene out of Mr. Robot, perhaps, Antonio. Ah, yes. I know what you're talking about, Josh. Yeah. You know that show. Uh, but yeah, I thought that that was great. And it's good because we've been wondering, you know, now that Bran is gone and the three eyed raven is dead, is Bran still going to be able to trip down the rabbit hole or the raven hole if you will uh is he still going to be able to see all those visions and go to the past even though the raven is gone turns out yes this is still a thing that he can do this is very good news in fact when he hangs out with benjen stark and when benjen stark reveals himself right before bran really comes to mira and benjen have a moment where um you know the, the he's revealing that i've worked for the raven i work with the three-eyed raven and mira says well he's dead now and Benjen says, and yet he lives again, or something to that effect. Right. So has the student become the master? Is Bran Stark, you know, the blood, the, the three-eyed raven he had said in the previous episode, he said, now it's time for you to become me. How, how much should we be taking that literally? Does Bran have all of that guy's powers now? Does he have all of his wisdom, and it's just a matter of him being able to parse it out and make sense of it all? From what Benjen seemed to be saying, that certainly seemed to be the case, that Bran is the three-eyed raven now. And... He may not know how to use all the powers. He may not know what he's doing. But I like the idea that Benjamin is saying, like, the Night King is going to come to the wall. And when he gets there, you're going to be there waiting for him. And then at that point, you'll be ready. So this is going to be like a Karate Kid kind of thing with Bran at this point. Like, he traded one sensei or one master for another. Uh, the Three-Eyed Raven taught him about the fact that powers were possible and that he was going to take on this role. And it looks like 
Benjamin's going to bring him home and bring him across the finish line in terms of what he needs to learn to finish out how to use these powers. But it sure seemed to me like there was a data dump going on there, Josh. We saw the Mad King. We saw what's can we talk about this vision? Yeah, let's talk about the vision. I mean, there was a lot of scenes that we see in this vision that Bran is having as they're being pursued. Um, that's, you know, stuff that we've seen before. Like, we've seen Ned Stark die before. We've seen Daenerys emerge with dragons. We've seen Catelyn Stark get killed. Bran hasn't seen these right. things, and now he has, and that's got to be both traumatic and confusing. In the case of his father and his mother dying, that's got to be pretty awful, but he's also got to be wondering, like, who's this chick with dragons? That seems pretty sweet. Let's yes. go hang out with her. What were those people doing pouring green liquid into that container? <laughs> yeah, I don't why? understand. <laughs> I didn't know that they had Ecto Cooler in King's Landing. <laughs> this is great. The new Ghostbusters must be out. This is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's really, de- I, be- I mean, listen, if Bran wants to, he can already see the new Ghostbusters. He has that access. That's true. He can see forward and backwards. Time yeah. is a flat circle to Bran Stark, Josh. That's what, I, that's what I've heard. Let's not get into the time is a flat circle thing. Uh, <laughs> but there's the, the biggest thing I think is, uh, is this vision of, an old man who is shouting from his throne to burn them all. And that is the Mad King. That's the Mad King who we have heard much about during this whole experience here with Game of Thrones. That's Danny's father uh, who was crazy. He went insane. He nearly burned King's Landing down to the ground. Uh, if not for Jamie Lannister, who we found out in season three, everybody always calling him Kingslayer, Kingslayer. Turns out that Kingslaying was the best thing to do that night. That was a great choice. Great choice was made. But what's the significance of Bran seeing the Mad King in this vision? Why is that something that the show is choosing to put on our radar right now? Well, that's an interesting question, Josh. That is certainly an interesting question. We do know the burn them all Mad King story from Jamie Lannister in the kind of hot tub with Brienne uh, back a few several seasons ago. I think that was season three, right? And Jamie right. tells the story about how the Mad King wanted to blow up King's Landing. He wanted to use this wildfire to just kill everyone. And he thought that by doing that, he would essentially achieve this higher status, raise dragons, do all these crazy things. And it was truly madness, Jamie was saying. Like, he was insane, and he wanted to commit ultimately genocide or destroy thousands of people. And Jamie killing him prevented that. The question that I have for you, Josh, is we are coming off of an episode where we heard a phrase repeated over and over again. Hold the door, hold the door, hold the door. As Bran was green-seeing and had to warg or skin change in the middle of a green-seeing kind of trip uh, to affect some change in the present. And what I'm wondering from you, Josh, is everybody's talking about the dragons and the White Walkers and how maybe that's the ultimate conflict that we're going to see in this story and all these petty squabblings over the throne and everything aren't going to matter. So if the ultimate story is dragons burning White Walkers, are we going to see a situation where Bran is in the past but also alive in the present? Uh, Someone is shouting at Bran to skin change into the dragon and burn them all, and Bran has to jump into the Mad King, and that's what makes the Mad King mad. Uh, that theory is out there right, right now. A lot of people have been wondering about this, you know, ever since the time travel aspect of the show has been revealed, you know, the big question, and it's fair to ask, it's like, what else has Bran done? You know, if he turned Hodor into Hodor, did he do something even more major? Did he do something massive? Uh, the theory that I really like is that Bran Stark might become Bran the Builder. Yes. And he's the, he's the guy who is responsible for building the wall once upon a time. Even that, I think, is a little Valyrian foil hatty. Uh, like, I feel like it's a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of an out there theory, but I feel like the Mad King one is a little too out there for me. You know, the idea that the Mad King goes crazy. He famously 
obviously goes crazy because he starts hearing voices and is talking to himself. And now what if those voices are Bran? What if that's the guy he's talking to? That feels like it takes something away from just the the madness of Targaryens that has been spoken about a lot, that you can flip a coin and a Targaryen is either going to be a fantastic leader or that person's going to go nuts. Uh, And I feel like that's just built into the bloodline of House Targaryen, and I really like that aspect. And I think if you now have time-traveling Bran going back and causing the Mad King Aerys to lose his mind— doesn't that take something away from that Targaryen plotline? And that's part of why it's so interesting that like Danny is kind of dancing on the edge of being a really righteous leader and potentially repeating her father's mistakes. I feel yeah. like to have Bran really in control of that takes away from that. But the fact that the Mad King is on the show right now does make you wonder, is Bran going to have some sort of role to play in there? Just a week after the, the Hodor thing kind of established how Bran can actually cause damage to people in the past through actions that he's taking when he's green seeing. So I think the possibility is there. I think you're right. I think it does detract a little bit from the story of Eris. Uh, There is other madness of Eris that goes far beyond him just wanting to burn people. This didn't happen kind of in one scene. This was a a really bad person long before that. And so the question really becomes is how much of the show is going to really cover that and how much that comes from the books and so forth and so on. I just think you guys have talked with, there's a lot of great questions on last week's feedback show about how much of this is going to be like a cereal. Is it going to be all brand? Are we going to have some brand? Like what level of brand do we need in order to have a healthy diet here on game of Thrones? Uh, and there are fiber a lot rich, of ideally a fiber rich diet. Well, you're yeah. drinking, you're drinking rabbit blood. So is that rabbit <laughs> yeah. or rabbit? Uh, I'm not sure, but you're drinking Rub rabbit it. blood, you're drinking yeah. rabbit blood. Yes. And that's all happening. Uh, so I don't know exactly what the what the brand of it is, like whether brand does impact other events in the past. You mentioned the building of the wall, the brand, the builder. There are obviously numerous incidents throughout Westeros or kind of Essos or Planetos history where Bran could have had an impact. Uh, there, maybe he's involved with the Doom somehow. Uh, maybe he's involved somehow with other events that have happened in the past. We don't know that. But I feel like this season has gone out of its way to establish that Bran can have an impact on the past. And so I think it's a fair question to ask. I, I understand why people are putting on that Valyrian foil, Josh. Let me toss this out to you as a possible narrative defense for why that would be cool. For okay. why it would be cool for Bran to be responsible for the Mad King, Eris saying, burn them all, and wanting to scorch King's Landing with wildfire. Uh, I mean, you could also say, like, Targaryens, they're obsessed with dragons, they're obsessed with fires. So that's also inside of there. But let's just, for humor's sake, let's, let's, let's play it out that Bran goes back in time. They need to burn some some whites. They need to burn some zombies as they are coming at them. Uh, and he, you know, somehow transfers, burn them all into the Mad King's head. Now to stop that guy from making a catastrophic mistake and destroying King's Landing, the person, the only available person to kill that man, this awful mistake that Bran would be setting into motion, is the same guy who is one day going to cripple Bran Stark. Right, that's great. So that's actually kind of cool. Like that's the, that's the one thing like that could, you know, and it's certainly we know we've seen Jamie Lannister from other perspectives. Like we've seen that very vulnerable moment of Jamie in the bathtub and burying his soul and burying other stuff and talking about how, you know, I had to do it. You didn't hear him. You didn't know. And everyone calls me a Kingslayer now, but no one knows what I did that night. And that really turned, I think, the the viewing public's opinion on Jamie Lannister. I think that we got to see him in a new light. To get Bran to be able to see Jamie in a new light, I feel like this would help. 
if you know if it was Jamie Lannister who crippled Bran Stark is also the guy that writes some you know catastrophic mythical mistake that Bran makes would be pretty cool. I still think that it would be better if it, this is all on Eris. But that's one thing that I could see bearing fruit out of a situation. Yeah, like that. I mean, and I think that that is, I think that that's a really valid point. And I, the, the crazy thing is, and this shows the, the kind of the, the depth and the breadth of Game of Thrones is, I think there are a lot of stories like that, even from the last, let's say, 15 years of the, the story of the show and the books, where you have one character involved in a story like that, and then they've crossed paths with another character at some point, and there's going to be value in that. So you've got people that, that have come up against each other in the past, or that can have that. I mean, let's say for a minute that Jamie kills the Mad King at that point, and then Jamie later on down the line is the one who pushes Bran out, and Bran is involved, like you're saying. I think you're right. There's a lot of value in that, and I think that there is, that's not something that all, all, always immediately jumps to the surface. So what jumps to the surface is, ah, that really takes the juice out of the Targaryens. But I think when you take a longer look at it, there might be a lot more poetry to that story than we're necessarily giving it credit right away. All right, well, I want to follow Jamie Lannister to King's Landing in a second here, but before we do, we lost a massive, massive character in Hodor last week. There really wasn't any time spent on Hodor or the consequences of it with Bran dealing with like, oh my God, I turned Hodor into Hodor and I've got some things to learn. Were you disappointed that there wasn't more of a follow-up on what happened to Hodor in the episode or was it just kind of a, there's no time for that. There's White Walkers coming after us and we got to move. I was disappointed because Bran's response was just like, they found us. Like when he woke up, that's basically what he says. Oh, they found us. He didn't say like, oh, Hodor or oh, Summer or any of the things that happened and didn't react to it at all. He just said they found us and he said it in such a kind of way that was very matter of fact and not reflective of everything that had just happened. So I'm very interested to spend more time with Bran because I don't know if we're going to get any of that sort of contemplation or reflection. Him asking those questions like, was I always supposed to do this? That's the the sort of thing that Maybe Benjen knows a little bit about from the Three-Eyed Raven, and Benjen can kind of help Bran see how he has to do certain things in closed loops. Uh, Bran is a kid. The people have been talking about it in the chat room here at Post Show Recaps, that he makes mistakes. He's irresponsible. We saw that. Uh, the question is, how much of that was a mistake or how much of that the Three-Eyed Raven knew had to happen? So I, I don't know where Bran's head is at with all of this. I don't know if he is the Three-Eyed Raven now, if he just has some sort of consciousness where he's like, Oh, yeah, of course that all happened. I knew it was going to happen because I'm the three-eyed raven now. So that part I'm not sure about. But I am a little disappointed we didn't get more. Well, I think, you know, there is also like a growing realization of the severity of what's going on here, uh, both in terms of the imminent situation of there's a bunch of skeletal monsters coming to kill us. And also, I think him understanding now a little bit more about just how powerful he really is and just how valuable that power is going to be in the war to come. Um, so I think that, you know, maybe it's a kind of thing where like there isn't time to cry over spilled milk, not to compare uh, summer and Hodor to, uh, to la- you know, lactate or anything like that lactose. I don't feel like that's where we want to go. Uh, but I think that he just like, he's, he can't get hung up on it right now, but I do hope that there is some sort of emotional follow through on that stuff uh, because that would just be, it would be a little disappointing if we never got, Bran really especially I mean Hodor was, is a big deal but Summer was his guy Summer right. was his was his was his buddy and you know Rider my, Direwolf yeah Rider Direwolf so I feel like we really do need I, I would personally I would really like some follow-up on that uh, so let's see um, all right let's head over to King's Landing bad week for Jamie Lannister bad week for the Lannisters unless your name is Tommen what do you have to say about this one it was a bad week for Jamie Lannister 
but he did get to ride a horse upstairs, which was pretty awesome. That was pretty neat. That was a good move. <laughs> I've no, I didn't know that that I, to be fair, I did not know that that was possible. I didn't really know that horses could, can go upstairs. I didn't know that you could just gallop up <laughs> steps like that with a horse. I think, you, that's you know, awesome. you would think that like with horses, like being able to like, you know, really ride out in the plains and in the mountains and stuff. Like, I think that they could handle some stairs. Yeah, how's he getting down those stairs? Can they walk downstairs? Is it like I th- I heard a cow one step at a time. Down one step, boy, that's a that's a very that's a lot less impressive of an action. Like he charges up those stairs on his horse, and then is, oh sorry, I've got to take my leave now. One step at a time, very very slowly, looking back over my shoulder at you in anger, very angry. One step at a time. Yeah, that's not exactly the same thing. Yeah, bad week for the Lannisters at King's Landing, but honestly, I thought Cersei was taking it a lot better than I thought she would. Yeah, Cersei's usually like, uh, you know, the most combustible person in that family where like things don't go her way and she just kind of explodes. Uh, but she didn't. She was good. Like she was like, hey, Jamie, suffer the consequences. Go to River Run. Go be in charge of the army. Show them what it's like to be a Lannister. Remind people what the Lannisters truly are. Uh, I have the mountain on my side. We're going to trial by combat. I'm going to be fine here. I'm going to be okay. We'll figure something out. She does seem to be fairly relaxed about everything. And just to set it up, Tommen, man, Tommen is the one who really screws this whole situation up where he decides I'm going to line with the high sparrow. Marjorie and I are going to marry the faith. We're going to marry the faith to the crown. This is going to happen. We are going to have these two pillars hoisting up the seven kingdoms we're gonna be in league with the high sparrow and i gotta imagine if rob sesternino were here right now as much as he outright loathes the high sparrow i feel like he is going to be very angry shades of ollie yes. are going to be thrown at king tom and from rob on this <laughs> feedback show yeah i agree completely i i thought of rob when i saw tom and just acting a fool up there i thought wow rob is not going to uh, react very well to see this what is what it would does. look like if prince ali had truly taken the throne yes like, prince ali fabulous he yes yeah that's exactly. this is what it would, this is what it would look like it's just him ruining everything well let me ask you this josh because i'm i, I we talked a little bit about what we we're going to talk about before we started we didn't get into this but it's something that's on my mind and when i was watching the episode something that really was a burning question for me where does marjorie tyrell play in all of this we saw her a couple of episodes ago talking to Loris. Loris was ready to just give up. Marjorie was like, no, we have to stay strong. We have to hold out. When we see Marjorie in this episode, she's ready. She's penitent. She's ready to, she's all this awakening that Marjorie's had. I kind of wonder if she's not playing it on the sly and she doesn't have a bigger plan in play here. What's your read on that? Or what's your judge on it? A hundred percent what you just said. Hundo. Hundo. Yeah, I think that Marjorie is playing the game. And Marjorie is very good at playing the game. And I don't think that you have that scene a few episodes earlier where she's talking to her brother and saying, stay strong, stick to the plan. Don't give in to the high sparrow. He's playing games with us. I don't think you have that scene on the show unless it's to indicate where Marjorie's head is really at. I think that she confides honestly in her brother sooner than she confides honestly to the high sparrow and to Tommen. And I think when she sees Tommen and I think that she is, you know, talking to him about how I've seen the error of my ways, like I could be better to the poor and all of that, that falls very much in line with everything that we know about Marjorie Terrell and the way that she's very manipulative in an amazing way. She is really good at getting what she wants. She did not want to be held in captivity, but I think after, you know, playing a long con with the High Sparrow and playing along with what he wanted, I think that she found a really great way to get herself out of that situation 
without the help from her family and without having to take a naked walk of shame. So I think that these are victorious points for Marjorie. And I think that now it's kind of TBD on what's her next move. But I'm of the mind that she is rigging the system here. I'm of the mind that she does not really care about the faith militant and seven and all of that. I feel like she is gearing up for some other, you know, double play coming up next. Or maybe she rides this out because she's in a position of power now. Maybe she just doesn't shake things up any further. Yeah. The what's the next move is the important question to me, because look, maybe she is lying and maybe she's playing Tommen for a fool and she's getting Tommen to come to the side of the faith. My guess is that that's what the High Sparrow wanted anyway. Uh, It's certainly a big win for him that this happened. So whether he cares whether Marjorie Tyrell is telling the truth or not, I I mean, I'm not sure that he does. But ultimately, the question is, what's Marjorie's way to flip that on the High Sparrow if she wants to flip it at all? If she's playing the game, then she's got to have some kind of next move in mind that she's going to flip this out. And if she's not playing the game and she's just like, you know what? Now I'm the queen and we're super powerful. Uh, then, and that's all she wanted that that's fine. I don't think she's going to leave her whole house behind. I think her brother is still a big part of this. I think her grandmother is still a big part of this. So my question is, what does she do next? And I love Marjorie Tyrell as a character. I think Natalie Dormer is fantastic on the show, playing the various shades of this character and the different masks that she wears throughout these various scenes. And I, I love that Marjorie is kind of playing the game ahead of everyone here. Uh, and she couldn't have anticipated, or maybe she could have that her family would march on the city like that but she was perfectly prepared to take care of herself and her brother without the humiliation that was coming she had already developed her own out i love that yeah i'm seeing a few people in the chat room as we're as we're talking this through live asking is elena in on it if marjorie is gaming the high sparrow i would say no i think that this was so I think that this was a Marjorie move. I think that the Queen of Thorns was all in on this plan to uh, to take out uh, the High Sparrow with the Tyrell forces. Lord, and then knows, I also, Lord knows Mace Tyrell's not in on anything. He, you know, had, a soldier, <laughs> he had to have a soldier lead his horse around, Josh. Oh, it was really great. That was really fun to see Mace Tyrell ready for battle. <laughs> and I think that that really highlights this next question that I'm seeing from Philip Marshall. Why didn't Marjorie let her family slaughter the, slaughter the sparrows then? Um, you know, if that was what was going to happen here like if they were if marjorie is here why not just let this play out one mace tyrell is not a fighter so you're not going to have a ton of confidence that this is going to work out you know it's a gamble as it is he looks Um, like a lego man in his suit (laughs) he's got like the lego man head like he looks like his parts should fall off yeah so yeah i don't think that she has you know much faith in lord lego i don't think that she's really interested in (laughs) that on top and on top of that i think that she has confidence in her plan that she has been suffering through to put into place. I think that she has confidence that she pulled Tommen in. Tommen and Marjorie were now, you know, on the same side as the High Sparrow. So they can, at least she can get out of the Sept of Baylor. She can get out of captivity without any blood spilled. And now she can pause. She can take a bath. She can have a meal. She can have some fun with Sir Pounce. Like she can go back to her life a little tiny bit. And then she can kind of get, you know, her bearings straight and plan the next move. So I think that this was her surefire way out by kind of gaming the system here against uh, the, the High Sparrow. I think that's right. I think the important thing is all the Tyrells are still alive as a result of Marjorie's plan. I don't think that's by any means guaranteed if we had gone with the, the, the Lord Lego plan of it all. Uh, I don't know that we would have seen Loris survive. I don't know that we would have seen uh, Lady Olena survive. I think that that's a much riskier deal uh, and Marjorie has a bigger a bigger plan in play here. And I'm really I 
King's Landing has been very boring to me throughout this season. I feel yeah. like the juice is is not worth the squeeze, but I'm I'm starting to feel like there's a lot more juice in the Marjorie Tyrell, uh, and I'm I'm fascinated by where that goes. Great character. Love that character. Good to see her making some moves tonight. Really, really terrible week for Jamie, who is like publicly embarrassed. Yeah, he rides up the stairs. That's really cool. Awesome. But then but then the very next thing is like his own son and like everyone knows it's his son come on now uh like his own son like you know completely botches the plan and just makes jamie look like a nincompoop and then fires jamie from the king's guard and jamie's being banished to river run pretty much this is just awful news for jamie lannister what is it with these lannister boy kings and firing their king's guard shades of sir barristan uh the bold happening here with jamie being sent off uh, jamie not threatening any lives on his way out the door at fair least. point Fair point. That's that that he he did take it a little better. Uh, he want they're they're going to send him apparently to River Run. This is not anywhere that Jamie Lannister wants to be. He could be the Lord of Casterly Rock. He hasn't as yet decided that he wants to occupy that position. Uh, he wants to be in. King's this is Landing good news Cersei. for him if he ever wants to occupy that position because he is no longer Kingsguard and he could, I think, legally be the Lord of Casterly Rock at this oh, point. Oh, you're dispensing so, legal advice now, Josh? <laughs> I, have, I wouldn't dare in front of Maester Mazzara. <laughs> oh, fair point, fair uh, point. But, but in terms of, you know, like the, the loophole that Jon Snow was able to navigate with dying and no longer needing to be part of the Night's Watch and now he doesn't have to be Lord Commander and he's free to fight for Winter fell i think in the same way jamie getting kicked off the king's guard should make him eligible to be lord of casterly rock i think that's right and i think that that's something where he could be perhaps a possible a possible uh, i should say a positive force there like i think that he's learned a lot about what a lannister is and isn't and learned a lot about how not to be from tywin uh, we saw the different ways that both parties treated Tyrion. And now maybe Jamie reg- regrets that a little bit, considering what Tyrion did. But I think Jamie is a much more well-rounded person than he was at the beginning of the series, and certainly than he ever would have been if he had just jumped into that role in Casterly Rock. So if that's the final part of the story for Jamie Lannister, if that's his ultimate landing spot, I think that's a good one for him. Uh, and I think that you can look at him and say, yeah, he's learned how to be a decent and good person. On the other hand, Cersei really pulls the the crazy out of Jamie Lannister. And I haven't really liked that Jamie has pivoted back to a person who has to be by Cersei's side and it's us against the world. It's so creepy. Every time they think about murdering, they start making out, Josh. I don't feel great about this. It turns them on. Yeah, it's a little it's a little icky. It's very These icky. Lannister twins, their their proclivities are interesting to say the least. To say the least. To, to say, say the least. least. Yeah, but a bad least. a bad week for Jamie. A bad week for Jamie to by any stretch. Bad week for Jamie, but what is the Lannister move here now? Uh, you know, Tommen made his move. Cersei seems pretty chilled out about it. Does she just think that if she wins trial by combat with the mountain at her side, that she's suddenly going to be able to affect a big power change, like a big power shift? Why is Cersei so relaxed right now? Well, I do have a couple things that I want to say about Cersei. First of all, as the kind of legal expert here at Post Show Recaps, if I can self-appoint. I think uh, what you can. I, okay, fair enough. What I would say is, how screwed up is it that the walk of atonement is just like your bail that you just, Oh, you want to get out of jail? Then you got to walk naked through the street. you still have to have a trial. It's not like that's the punishment and you get out of whatever you did by walking naked. That's just to get you out of jail. So that's a really tough pill to swallow. That's a steep price for bail. It really is. It's like, come on, you need a better bail bondsman service in King's landing there in flea bottom. We need flea bottom bail bonds to really step up the equation. Bail bronze. Here. 
the bail bronze of it all. That could also happen. We need to, we just need a better system because that being like, not your ultimate punishment is crazy. Cersei wants to do her trial as trial by combat. We've got Sir Gregor. Uh, he's, they've made us stronger. We're stronger. This is terrifying. Uh, what are we, I mean, who, who could possibly fight Sir Gregor, uh, for the faith? I mean, Lancel Lannister, uh, common, like what's going to happen here? I want it to be Lancel or, I mean, now it could be Loris, right? Like if, if Marjorie is now team faith militant and she is able to pull Loris along with her, you got to imagine that she negotiates to get Loris out of there as well. Like she says nothing but pleasant things to Tommen about Loris when Loris comes up. She says, yeah, he has sinned, but that's only obscured his purity. It hasn't like erased it. So let's say that Loris gets out of this situation with Marjorie being able to negotiate his way out. Is he now going to have to play along with the faith militant? And is is Marjorie, if she has to do some trial by combat or if the faith militant are going to have to throw a person into the mix, is the Knight of Flowers a logical choice? I mean, this guy is a fantastic fighter, a fantastic swordsman. And there's history between the mountain and Loris fighting. That's happened before. Uh, it was very memorably the mountain's very first scene on the show where he chops off the, he- the head of the horse and nearly kills Loris. And then the hound steps in and saves the day. Could we see some version of a rematch between Loris and the mountain? Is that yeah, a possibility? I think it's a possibility. And I think that in that kind of scenario, when Loris is toast, when Loris loses uh, <laughs> and Cersei goes free, I think that that presents a very interesting dynamic because I, I don't know what the high sparrow wants. Does he want to win that combat? And if he wins, if his champion wins, what's the punishment for Cersei? Is it death? Does she, is she put to death? for her crimes or is it something less than death, but more than kind of jail? I mean, I don't understand exactly what the proposed punishment is in this trial by combat. It's just a matter of determining her guilt or innocence in the matter. Uh, And so she may be cleared of all charges when Loris Tyrell goes down in a crumpled heap uh, as Sir Gregor just dominates. So his his head's going to be popped like a pimple, just like the red Viper that they're just going to get the repeat of that awesome move. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a very good possibility. And the question I have, I guess is unless the high Sparrow has some greater champion in mind, uh, is his plan ultimately to let Cersei just get off with uh, with winning the trial by combat? Or did he not account for Sir Robert Strong? Uh, I'm not sure about that, but I, I think having Cersei in play is not a good thing for the High Sparrow. We've seen him kind of doing some mind game work against Cersei with Tommen earlier in this season, uh, talking about, like, you know that your mother is is, is wrong. Like, she's bad. Right. Uh, and really kind of mind-bending Tommen in that respect. So I do think he's sort of lining up a lot of different possibilities here in the anti-Cersei circle. Uh, and that may be because he's not confident that he's going to win a trial by combat. Here's the other thing, too, that's worth considering is, will this trial by combat happen? Um, you know, Cersei is really putting all of her eggs in that basket. Like, oh, if they're going to come after me, don't worry. Trial by combat and the mountain is going to fight on my behalf. But we have seen every time that she's been confident about a plan against the High Sparrow, it has not worked out the way that she has thought it was going to work out. Will the High Sparrow, now that he has Tommen's ear, now that Marjorie, at least in his opinion, is in an alliance with him, um, is he going to pull some sort of move where trial by combat isn't even an eligible option at that point? And are we going to move to a place where we might still see the mountain F some stuff up, but it might not be in an arena, a formal arena. It could be, all right, well, now it's desperation time. Let's just let the mountain ride. 
It's entirely possible. You know, I, I have always wondered about the logistics of trial by combat. Are there no atheists in Westeros? Like, does everybody believe in God's will? Uh, and does everybody accept that if somebody I don't think lives? so. I mean, just like think of a character like Bronn. How yeah. like how how devout is Bronn of the Blackwater? Yeah. Oh, trial by combat. You won. So I guess I got to go. Like the right. gods decided it. Yeah. I mean, I so I don't know. The, the thing that's, that I'm really most puzzled by with Cersei is if you draw the through line backwards and you say, how did this all happen? It all happened because of her. She armed the Faith Militant as a move against the Tyrells, mainly. Uh, and she really wanted them to take down Loras and Marjorie because she was trying to get an end around against the Tyrells, having too much influence uh, with her children. And then here we are, ultimately, where Cersei is kind of head on the slab as a result of her actions. Her son is so screwed up. All these horrible things are happening because of what she did. And I just don't see that really taking very much of a toll on her at this point. She seems very single-minded. And in this episode, very confident that it's all going to work out. I just I wonder if she's got another plan up her sleeve that we just don't really know the full details of her. If she's putting all of her eggs in the Robert Strong basket. Yeah, which would not be out of character for her to like go all in with a really, you know, crappy hand. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Jamie's going to the Riverlands. Uh, central in this Riverlands story is apparently Strigoi, the return of Walter Frey. Yes. Walter Frey, Walter Frey back in the mix. Were you, were you happy to see Walter Frey back in the mix? What a effing pro David Bradley is. That's his name, right? David That's Bradley. That's the actor. Yeah. He's such a pro. He hasn't been on this show in several years. He steps right back in and just destroys it he is so good in this scene he is walder frey immediately it's like how did you lose a castle like did it disappear you know and he's very angry and immediately walder frey do you like the fact that he's calling it the red wedding is it the self-styled <laughs> red wedding at this point yeah man like this is like his one thing this the red is wedding his- happened i did <laughs> yeah. it red wedding that's his that's his claim to fame you guys know i did the red wedding right yes. that was me that was totally me it was me yeah the most it was me the most <laughs> important thing on game of thrones i'm the guy red wedding yeah i i think it's fun i think uh i mean fun is a dark way of describing what happened at that red wedding but walder frey is a great character and there are few people on game of thrones that i would rather see get mercilessly shredded apart than walder frey but that being said and i'm curious about your take were you worried during this scene that like walder frey was going to be poisoned and like choke and die and like we were getting the walder frey scene here because it was going to be the swan song for walder frey it was going to be the final hurrah because i was starting to feel that way and I was thinking to myself, that is not even close to a savage enough death for Walder Frey, for him to get Joffreyed. We just can't have it be like that. It's got to be so much worse. Yeah, I agree. It, that, like, it can't happen that way. There are too many characters that are still alive on this show with an axe to grind with Walder Frey, uh, not the least of which is Edmure Tully, who has apparently been uh, at the twins in the jail cells. Uh, he's not looking very good. Looking I thought that he rough. was in Scotland this whole time. Oh, yeah. Well, that may, that, that may be true. I, I know what you're yeah. saying, Josh. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I thought maybe he was, uh, he was in an intelligence office in the night manager. So there you go. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Ultimately, uh, I, I, I don't know what Walder Frey's best death is. Is it Arya? Maybe that's the best one that Arya finds a way to get Walder Frey down. Uh, but ultimately, his best, best death was not anywhere near tonight's episode. I never worried about it. I thought this is just a great kind of reintroduction to Walder Frey. Like, oh, yeah, remember that guy? Remember the, the Red Wedding guy? That was me. Uh, and I'm here. I'm back. I'm still a jerk to my teenage wife, even though I'm like 90. I'm still bossing hey, people Hey, he said around. he'd find, I'd find, I'll find another. I'll Looks find like another. He, he yeah. found another. 
Yeah, he did. So this is terrible. But uh, Scott French is saying in the chat room, feeling good about Walder in my Deadpool. I think that that's probably right. This guy is not going to live out this series, I don't think. But I didn't think his end was coming tonight. Well, what do you think? Does Walter Frey die this season? Is this going to be the season that Walter Frey gets his, uh, you know, meets his maker? Well, this is the thing. So he's upset because the Freys have lost River Run ultimately, and that the Tullys you don't lose a castle, Antonio. Yeah, it just disappeared. I don't it understand. It doesn't just disappear. Yeah. So he's upset that apparently the castle had been taken. It's been retaken by the Tullys. He has a bargaining chip. Here in play, Edmure Tully. He's upset that the Blackfish has escaped and done. It's pretty everything funny that, he's that done. he thinks that Edmure Tully is going to be a serious bargaining chip. When in the previously on to remind us of who the Blackfish is and Edmure Tully is, it's that scene where Edmure Tully is trying to like give his father the Viking funeral. Yeah, he can't shoot the arrow, and he can't shoot the arrow, and the Blackfish just steps. I was like, oh, freaking Edmure. Yeah. So I feel like the phrase are going to show up to River Run with Edmure Tully, and and uh, the Blackfish is going to be like, all right. And yeah, they've kind of probably already written this guy off. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're, they're probably surprised he's still alive. I don't know. It, it, it is interesting to see what houses will do, whether Edmure is going to get the Theon treatment or not, uh, or the Samwell treatment. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, maybe they're going to want him back. Maybe there's going to be some greater plan in play, but things are picking up in the Riverlands. I mean, we've got Jamie Lannister headed there. We know Brienne is headed there. Now, Reunion. We've, got, now we've got the phrase headed there. Uh, How awkward th- is it going to be if Brienne shows up to the Riverlands with Tormund and Jamie is going to be there as well? Are we going to have a, a shipping triangle? Is that? Oh what my we're gosh! Going? If that if that is the triangle that will break the world, if that's yeah. true, like that's the a nightmare. Tumblr can't handle it. No, too many gifs are going to are going to arise out of the the looks that will pass between all three parties. Tormund will just I, I, he will hate Jamie Lannister on sight. Uh, so that will be interesting. But yeah, I don't know what role the phrase play in all of this is what I'm saying. It sounds to me like the Lannisters want River Run. They want the, the situation to be cleared up. Brienne wants to get the, the Tullys kind of back in play for Sansa. That's what her mission is. Where do the phrase play into all that? It's hard to see that on the surface. We know geographically they occupy a very important space with the twins. But whether they occupy a very important space in the story at this point, I just don't think that that's the case. And I don't know, other than having Edmure, what role they really have in this Lannister versus Tully scuffle that is now happening. Yeah, I think so, too. All right. Let's talk about uh, the person who witnessed the Red Wedding, who is no longer in Westeros. Let's talk about Arya Stark, who we'd been debating throughout the week between Rob and I and Jason Somerville coming onto the podcast and Terry Schwartz in the book club. Like, what is the test? that Arya is facing here. Is she actually being asked to kill this actress, Lady Crane, or is it going to be, if you don't kill Lady Crane, then you've passed the test. Seems like we got our answer tonight. Arya did not want to kill Lady Crane. She basically outs herself as part of the Faceless Men. Uh, she says to about the Santa actress to Lady Crane, look out for her. That one's trying to kill you. Uh, the Waif witnesses all this. Arya leaves. She goes and finds Needle. It seems like she's just straight up Arya Stark again. Looks like she failed the test and she knows it. Yeah, uh, she does. She she doesn't even bother showing back up at the House of Black and White. Like she goes and finds Needle, and she goes kind of finds like a quiet corner to hang out. Yeah, a little hovel, like a little lean to, or like a little corner. Yeah, so she's now back to being a cat of the canals, maybe or something. I don't know what her plan is going forward. I do wonder if Jake and Hagar maybe had a greater plan in play here. And that is like the, the, the girl is no one bowl, the waif versus Arya. Is he, is he only going to pick one apprentice and he's going to pick the one 
ultimately who is going to be able to kill the other one. I think the, the, the real math is that the faceless man was denied, or the, the, the many-faced God was denied a death. Right. A, a life should have been given to him via the actress, and that that was denied. And so now a life has to be given. I'm not sure that Jake and Hagar really cares if the life that's given is Arya's or the waifs. I think that what I think all he cares about is the math. I, a face will be added to the wall is what he said before implying that it would be Arya's. But if Arya kills the waif, is she going to be back in his good graces, at least to the extent that he's not going to try to kill her anymore. And I think that's the million dollar question is if Arya does kill the waif in the weeks to come, is she safe from the many faced God at that point? And her fate is her own fate going forward. Uh, and I think that, I mean, I'd hate to think that Arya is just going to have to live the rest of her days being stalked for some crime against the house of black and white. I'd like to think it's one for one. And if she kills the wave, that's it. Yeah. I feel like for Jake and Hagar, it seemed like he was very disappointed by yes. this news that the wave brings him. Uh, the wave says, she didn't do it. Can I kill her? You promised. And Jake <laughs> says, wave. yeah, just don't let her suffer. Uh, and I think that the way that Jake is playing that scene to me, it strikes me that he means it that, you know, he's ready for Arya to go. She failed the test. She is not no one. She is Arya Stark. A girl had so much potential, yeah. uh, but a girl does not exist. Only Arya exists. So I think that even if Arya were to kill the waif, I don't know if that settles the beef with, uh, with the House of Black and White. I don't know if that balances the scales because this contract, once again, the killer did not kill the, the victim as contracted. And now that same person who violated the contract has killed a member of the faceless men. Like, I don't know that that balances that equation. And I think it, it only, I think it ruins the equation. I think it skews the equation in the wrong way. So I think that Arya is not in a good spot with the house of black and white. I like her odds. Ultimately, just narratively, I don't feel like this is where she gets eaten up alive, at least not in the short term, but I just don't know what her next move is. We know that the waif is coming after her. Is Arya sticking around Bravos? Is she, you know, is she going to try and plead her case to the House of Black and White? Is she going to try and go to another city? Does she go back to Westeros now? I think for people who want to see Arya tied back into the main story, though, this was a step in the right direction. At least, like, either send her on a mission through the House of Black and White to Westeros or have her say, you know what, House of Black and White, screw you guys, I'm going home, and she chooses to go back across the narrow if sea. That, if that's where we go with this, was it a waste of time for Arya it's, with the Faceless Men? You know, it depends. I mean, you know, maybe it is if she goes back empty-handed, but if her next move is to, like, sneak into the House of Black and White and swipe some faces, and now she can return back to Westeros as, like, a totally rogue faceless woman, uh, where she has, like, a, a sack filled with faces, that wouldn't be a total waste. Now we have Arya Stark in the main action as a shapeshifter. That seems pretty cool to me. Yeah, it does. And I, and I got, I just, I really feel like Jake and Hagar is saying like the many fakes God is dispassionate. He doesn't really care. You know, he just needs the, he needs, he needs to be given a life ultimately life for life. And we saw how that first played out when Arya met Jake and Hagar, she saved three people who were supposed to die. So he had to kill three people and it didn't matter who she could tell him whoever I'm just going to even the score three lives for three lives. And so I do wonder if he's going to harbor a grudge against Arya if Arya kills the waif or if he's just going to say, like, the many faced God has been paid. Like, that's what we're supposed to do. I just don't want to think of an Arya Stark who's going to have to be looking over her shoulder for an assassin for the rest of this story. I just I, that's another shoe that I don't look forward to waiting to drop forever. I would prefer that she kills the waif, that Jake and Hagar is basically like, look, 
You can't be a part of the house of the black and white here. You can't be a faceless man slash woman, but we're not going to have any grudge against you at this point. That just doesn't sound like him. I'm I'm saying like, he's always said it doesn't, the God doesn't, the gods don't care what lives you take that you don't take, you know, you don't take lives for personal grudges. You don't take lives for revenge. You take them for what you're told to do. And the question I have is, that how does that jibe with what Arya is going to do, which is a direct attack on one of his acolytes. And so that I don't know, but he's always been dispassionate about killing. So I can't imagine he's going to want to say, no, now I'm all about revenge. It just doesn't yeah. seem to jibe for me. Arya's move might be to burn down the house of black and oh white. My God, you know, like dragon. If, <laughs> if she doesn't, if she doesn't want to be looking over her shoulder, if she wants to take all of those people out. Uh, I think that might be the move. I think it's going to be really interesting. I'm really excited to see, where they go with all of that. Let's stick in Essos for just a hot minute. The episode ends with Daenerys on a dragon, giving like the big brave heart speech, freedom, you know, like that whole yeah. thing is happening really doesn't move the needle uh, to borrow from Arya too much further than I think what we got in the Viastoth rock scene a few episodes back. Was this a, like a really crucial step forward in terms of uh, Danny's forward trajectory toward Westeros? I think like that's the, that's the best takeaway is that at the very least she's talking about, we're going to go back to Meereen, we're a week away, we're going to get a thousand ships, then we're sailing to Westeros. Like, it does seem like she is declaring that that is her intent. Like, I am going to the Seven Kingdoms, that's the next move. Yeah, that's great. And who knows whether when she gets back to Marine, that's still going to be what she says. But it's nice to know that it's on her mind. As far as does the speech really do much more? I don't think so. This is a speech, I think literally almost that we have heard before, very reminiscent of Khal Drogo, giving a very similar speech when Danny had sort of ultimately convinced him to take the very same actions in season one. Uh, we saw him rallying his troops with a very similar speech. We've seen Danny. She, she averages about one of these uh, yelling in a foreign language speeches per season. Uh, and <laughs> sure. They're always great. I mean, they're always very like fun to see, but they're, it, it's getting to the point. And uh, look, Drogon was awesome. How awesome was Drogon back? That, he's he huge, really by the way. Huge. He's a he's 747. Gigantic. He's a huge. Yeah, he's yeah. like a 777. Like, he's a huge dragon at this point. And yeah. is he done growing? He may not be done growing. That is awesome to think about. But I don't think that he is. Like, if he's supposed to grow to, like, you know, a song of ice and fire size, like, he's got it. He's, you know, he's going to be a big boy. He's, you know, right now he's like a really healthy teenager. He's, you know, a really healthy adolescent, but he's still got a little growing to do, I think. Yeah, and so that's really exciting. But as far as the speech itself, I didn't really feel like it moved the needle too much, as you were saying, in, in terms of the needle. Uh, I, it is good to know that that's what's on Danny's mind right now. What I know is that the slaver's pits and the snake pits in Marine are a huge distraction. And getting back there, finding out about the plan that Tyrion put in play, slavery is only going to end in seven years. She's probably not going to love that. I don't know. I, I, you've been saying a lot on these podcasts, Josh that we need to see Danny forward headed toward Westeros by the end of the season, that we should get there and we should still arc out. Do you think we're still on pace for that? Yeah. Uh, I think that Danny leaves for Westeros by the end of the season. You know, that's, that's what I've been saying. I think that, that we're going to we're going to get there. One of the things I was really hoping that we were getting out of that Danny speech was her going to end the speech by being like, all right, cool. So you guys are all on board. Hold tight. Get to Marine. I got to go to Westeros and like the dragon was just going to take off and she was just going to go. How much more epic is that moment? If Danny's just like, yeah, I'm going to Westeros right now. Yeah. 
That's a, that would have been awesome. And she sent Strogon there. I thought that was really cool. They have a good connection there. So it is interesting to, to wonder exactly what Danny's goal is, but I hope by the end of the season, she's going to be, she's going to be headed there. It was very convenient. She pulled out of the ether, Josh, this 1000 ships number. Who do we know that's talking about a thousand ships? Is that something that's happening in the world? Release the Kraken, baby. The Greyjoys <laughs> are coming to Marine. It's yeah, happening. So it's almost like she's willing it into being by just mentioning these numbers. Uh, who do we know? She's like, does anyone we know? No, <laughs> anybody? Could there be anybody? Else? Oh, so it's going to be such divine province. When these interesting that she's up. saying this to Dario, who we all know is secretly Euron Greyjoy, yeah, right? Dario is not Benjen. We know that for a fact. <laughs> that is proven tonight. Benjen got bigger and that's not happening. They're, they look different. For uh, those who are confused, this is one of those popular Valyrian foil hat theories that Dario Naharis is like everybody on the show secretly. That yeah. he is like, he is secretly Euron Greyjoy. He is secretly... I don't know. He's Howland Reed. He's the High Sparrow. Uh, he is Benjamin Stark. He is, he is everyone. Benjen he's Stark. the Alpha and the Omega. And Bran is all of the characters. Bran is Dario. So it really all just, <laughs> if you, it's turtles all the way down. It's just Bran all the way down, Josh. Turtles in time. All right. Well, let's wrap up before we get into questions. Let's talk a little bit more about Sam and Hornhill, which we're talking about at last. I feel like that was a huge part of the episode at least time wise and really for my money like it it really feels like the whole purpose of it is just to get heartsbane just to get this ancestral sword this valyrian sword that has been in house tarly for centuries just to reinforce that sam comes from a really bad home his mom seems pretty chill his sister seems really cool but his father sucks and his brother is a space cadet at best uh and i think that that's all stuff that we have heard about before but i don't know that do we need to see like the awkward meet the parents dinner just to get hearts being or was there another thing that was accomplished in this scene for you nothing else accomplished in this scene for me i think it's great to see gilly uh i think it's awesome to see gilly is a wildling she's raised beyond the wall i think we sometimes can easily forget about that that she's probably pretty tough and she's probably pretty awesome i think there could be a greater role for gilly to play in this show she's not exactly a grit replacement she's not that hardcore uh but to have a female wildling character especially when we've lost another one this season I think there's always welcome. So I think it's great to see Gilly uh, kind of have a fire and, and step up to Randall Tarley and just say, like, you're a horrible person. Sam's great. All these things happened and, and on and on and on. Uh, I think that that's good character development for Gilly. Sam being Craven, what? Like, give me a break. We already know about that. Like, that is something that we've seen over and over again. We didn't get any arc from Sam in terms of standing up to his family. He did steal the sword, which is awesome. That was we great. We didn't have a great moment where he's like, like oh, yeah, dad, up yours. Like, this is going to happen. <laughs> So this is a kind of the craven move, right? It's yeah, like exactly. he's like when he when he's being confronted by his dad and his dad is being a real bonehead to him, Sam's just like sitting there and just absorbing it and just shock absorbing it and then he decides a few hours later like you know what i am gonna take gilly i'm gonna take baby sam and i am also going to take hearts bane and i'm gonna just ditch in and i'm not night, gonna have like any kind of final confrontation with my dad whatsoever yeah, yeah and that I, feels and like I, the craven move i definitely this is classic samuel tarley even though he's doing an awesome thing uh, it's being done in a very craven way so classic samuel that's fine uh i you know it was a really long scene uh, it was a breaking bad dinner with walt jesse and skyler levels of awkward uh <laughs> and i th- that is the most awkward dinner i've seen on tv since that that walter white family dinner but this is uh this was this was good i mean look there was it was a little long gorgeous gorgeous cast i mean just probably the most beautiful one we've seen in the show yeah it was gorgeous great oh, set uh, just- horn hill is a place that i would like to hang out at yeah, beautiful. I love trees. I love that. It was, 
It's a really no, nice do. place to be, but man, it's a nice place to visit, but you wouldn't want to live there because this guy, you know, Randall Tarley is, is awful. I do wonder, do we, are we missing? Kevin Lannister is kind of a milk toasty presence on the show. Mace Tyrell. We already talked about Lord Lego. Uh, do, are we missing this kind of uh, harsh without Tywin Lannister without, uh, we got Walder Frey, I guess back. Are we missing that kind of older male character who really is like this? I don't know that we're missing it necessarily. <laughs> and I, and I don't Alistair know that Thorne is dead. I feel like yeah. all of the asshole males in the show Bruce Bolton is gone. are just biting it. Yeah. Bruce Bolton is gone. So yeah. like, I, I don't know if we need, if there's a large, if, if there is a kind of a, a jerk in power uh, vacuum that we need to fill here. Uh, but I'm not sure that we've seen the last of Randall Tarley. You know, He's maybe there is, maybe there is. I just don't know that Randall Tarley is the guy. To, <laughs> yeah. to fill that Alex out. Kidwell says the big dad. Thanks Alex. <laughs> Give yourself a thumbs dad. up, buddy. That's awesome. That's very fun. Are we All missing right, well, a big dad? Yeah, we need. A, we maybe need another big dad. Well, we can we can launch into our questions from you guys. You guys are who are watching this live or sending in questions. We're about to dive into all of that. And we can start with uh, our good friend, uh, Maester Mike Bloom, who has a question stemming from this Sam story. Sam and Tyrion have similar daddy issues. Will Sam also commit pooper patricide? Uh, are we going to see are we going to see Sam against uh, against his father the same way we saw Tyrion against Tywin Lannister? Why does it have to be in the bathroom, Mike? Mike, I bet Mike was a big fan. <laughs> of act two of that play tonight that we saw uh, with Arya and Bravos. I bet Mike really enjoyed the play within a play aspect of the Well, we all. know that Mike Bloom is a big fan of the local theater, so yes, I think that I would, he... I really wanted a hot take from A.J. Mass or Mike Bloom uh, or someone who's Shakespeare-oriented. Maybe you can give it, Josh. Stephen Fishback would be the ideal for this. Oh, man, I would love to hear Stephen Fishback's hot takes on Game of Thrones. The play Let's see within if we can a do play. The play that. within a play. This is Maybe that's a good road to the podcast awards, Josh. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, I do think one thing that was great in that scene, we're springboarding a little bit, but one thing that was great in that moment where Tyrion kills Tywin in the play is him calling out that line, let's see if, uh, if, if Tywin Lannister truly does shit gold, which is a very famous line from the books when Tywin actually dies. The, the line is, in the end, Tywin Lannister did not shit gold, uh, pardon my French. Uh, and I thought that it was really, it was very fun to, to get that on the show, even just as a little bit of a nod. Yeah, I agree. And I, that, we didn't really touch on this, but it was great to, to watch Arya watching that play. Yeah. Uh, and just see her cracking up at Joffrey's death, just dying. Like she was laughing really, really, really hard. And I thought that that was fantastic. And I thought great work by Maisie Williams in this episode. She's looking at herself in a mirror and really evaluating herself. Uh, she got complimented on her eyebrow. She does great eye acting. Josh, it's all there. Fantastic eye acting. Yes. Very good. All right. This is from our boy, our Philly. How psyched are you guys going to be to watch Arya murder the crap out of Arya too with needle? Uh, on a scale of one to ten, I would say pretty close to a ten. Pretty psyched about that. Yeah, no more sticks and stones, baby. We're going swords. Uh, yeah, this is great. <laughs> stones and pillars. We're just going straight sword. Do we? Do we know? Or have we seen enough to think that Arya is just an easy win in this? Are we? We're assuming that she's going to win and trips back to Westeros. This is not how Arya Stark dies. If the Waif kills Arya, um, man, we just, that is the Waif is going to be. Forget Tommen. The Waif will be the new Ali. We just uh, never saw Arya get the better of the wave. So I do wonder. Yeah, if we did. We did when she when she, uh, you know, succeeds in the original training montage while she's blind. But after that, she, you know, continues to get her butt kicked by the wave. I think what that tells us is they are both capable of kicking the other guy's butt. Like there, there's it's not a completely level match. I think I would give the edge to the wave if you were taking narrative out of the equation. But since we can't take narrative out of the equation, 
have to imagine that Arya would win any sort of fight against. You're saying she's protected by her plot armor. Yes, I think that she is. Uh, she is heavily defended by plot armor. Okay, all right, all right. I'm not complaining about that, by the way. If Arya Stark is killed by the Waif, I will riot. I don't know about the rest of you, but I will be upset. <laughs> me too. Me too. I mean, I just I felt like we, when we saw them both with eyes and Arya with weapon, Waif without uh, the Waif was still housing her. So I just don't know if, I, if, if, if I'm confident Arya can win this battle. All but right, the plot armor will save her. All right, this is from Baz Lindo. So Dario and Euron both think it will take a thousand ships to take Danny's army to Westeros. Can we confirm now that this world's math education is extremely insufficient? I thought that this was. I thought this was going to. We're going to confirm now that Dario and Euron are the same person. <laughs> well, maybe that's why the math education is bad because <laughs> Dario is everyone. Yeah, the census is wrong. Like they yeah. just needed to count this one person one time for like eight people. So <laughs> Dario is everyone. Yes, exactly. The Dario right. compromise. Uh, I yeah. don't know if this will ultimately happen or not, uh, but I do think that that the math should check out. Like, I don't think we're going to get sit down and they're going to be like, well, we only have 995 ships. We're going to have to leave a few Dothraki back here at the dock. I mean, I just, I, it, it's not going to work out perfectly. A thousand is a pretty round number. It's a number you'd estimate too. Uh, I don't know why that this is being estimated left and right, but uh, it is fun. It is fun that the math is so weird here. Just to go back to the Aria thing. Great comment from Philip Marshall in the chat room right now uh, saying, I think that's why Aria blew out the candle. She can beat the wave in the dark. Interesting. Uh, although, but I mean, yeah, that's true because she did better when she was blind. Ultimately, she found right. a way to defend herself. So that will be I thought I took that as more metaphoric, like I'm blowing out the candle on this whole situation. Uh, this is my this is the end of me, but um, the end of my time with the House of the Black and White. But uh, yeah, that is there's a good comment. That could very well be the case. Uh, how about another question, Josh, from Random Nando? Random Nando says not complaining. But where the heck did Drogon come from? How did Danny find him? Does she have one of those pet tracker things? Yeah, it's uh, I don't know. Maybe she branded Drogon like the Night King branded Bran, like a DPS, like a like a drag. Yeah, like that's how she's going to find Drogon, like a Drogon PS. <laughs> Love the DPS. The DPS recaps. <laughs> yeah <laughs> is that what's happening here yeah that's where we are that's I don't where know. we're at the, the, it, it is it look drogon ex machina like he always shows up at the right time he shows up when danny's ready to make a big speech so this works out perfect yeah i think so so i think it's just yeah it's just convenient all right this is from andrew of joseph can we talk about how horn hill is like the most awesome castle right? in westeros aren't the tarleys supposed to be a lesser house that place blows winterfell out of the blackwater yeah, well, I mean, it's it's the vacation spot. Nobody wants to go to Winterfell. Like, yeah, I don't think anyone has ever said, like, Winterfell's the best. Yeah, Except, exactly. like, the people in the north who are like, we're great. But no one else is saying it's great in the north. No, Winterfell is not a place you ever really want to be. It's not a place you want to find yourself. It's kind of remote. It's kind uh, of like, you know, Sansa and John. like, maybe you guys want to focus on, like, going south, finding a place to live there. And who really cares about Winterfell? Yeah. and Sentimental and, value, I know. I think seeing the fact that, that Sam has ultimately that, that this and is, I guess they have to save their brother, but uh, it's, you know, that's how forgettable Rick on. <laughs> yeah, well, that, maybe uh, if he doesn't survive the season, uh, you know, we'll see what happens, but right. uh, maybe he's gone before then, but yeah, I don't know. I, I do think the fact that it's so beautiful does have a lot of symbol uh, symbolism for Sam, because this is something that was taken away from him to think of him as being the kind of the head of that house. And this could have all been his, like everything you see with your eyes, Samba is yours. Like that could have been beautiful, but this is what he doesn't get because his dad is a jerk and just thinks he's fat. And that's rough because that's what he's, that's what's been taken away from him. That compared to the wall is, is like 
paradise and to realize that that's what's been taken away from Sam. It had to be beautiful, I think. The more beautiful it is, the more, I think, sympathy we have for Sam and what he's lost. Yeah. Uh, from Katie D, I ride horses and was also impressed with the horse going upstairs. Down would be terrifying. So Yeah, down would be very terrifying. Score down points would, for Antonio. You know horses be better than terrifying. I do. Yeah, so I don't know. Um, yeah, what, what, what other questions do we have, Josh? Uh, let's go. This is from Como Shepherd. Could Bran become powerful enough to warg into the Night King? Uh, this is definitely something that I've been seeing some chatter on ever since the end of the door. What's your take on that, Antonio? Do you think that Bran could warg into the Night King? Well, um, this is uh, it, it's interesting because what we were establishing with with Benjen, with this sort of half uncle or whatever he is at this point, uh, is that you can be kind of half magic and. I think that that plays uh, an interesting question with uh, with what goes on with uh, with Sir Jorah, who we didn't see in this episode. Uh, we talk about him possibly finding a cure to the grayscale. It hasn't ultimately set on. Does somebody need to drive a piece of dragon glass into his heart? We're gone with the children of the forest, Josh. I don't think they can save anybody else. I'm really hopeful. You guys, you and Rob have been kind of eulogizing what happened with Summer and with Hodor, and I understand yeah. that. I'm really distraught if that's the end of the children of the forest. I, I personally love the children of the forest. I know a lot of people are hard out on the children of the forest. I think it's fascinating to think about what Westeros was like before the first men came, uh, when we were just children of the forest and giants. And to think about all the things that were possible for the children of the forest, the magic that they had, the things they could or couldn't do, that really is very interesting to me. And to think that they might be gone is terrible, but uh, it all really comes back into play by saying, can Bran work into the Night's King? It's possible. And if Bran has some kind of knowledge of how to work this magic. If there are still children left, I'm not, there may be no limit to what Bran can do. I don't know about warging into the Night's King because I don't know if there's a consciousness there to warg into. We don't, we still don't have the full download on these white walkers. We're seeing that they're human. We know a little bit more about them week by week, but we don't know what their goal is, what the Night's Kings kind of, you know, what's in his head literally. So we don't know if Bran can get in there. Yeah. I think um, that's going to be really interesting to see. I do think, Antonio, I would guess that that's probably it for the Children of the Forest. Uh, I hope that's not right. Isn't there a place, I, and I don't know if this is in the show. I'm not spoiling anything from the books. Is it the God's Eye, the, the eye, the God's eye or the Isle, the God's Isle or something? In the, right, a lake in the middle of, the, of Westeros where they're alleged to live supposedly allegedly but i mean i don't know if the show is going there i think that you know this was meant to be that brands screw up not only kills his friends but gets basically the entire remnants of a long forgotten people killed and the question uh, is was it was it intended to, was that screw up even a screw up or was that supposed to happen maybe it was supposed to happen whatever happened happened man yep yep yep, yep. that's the rule karen foster asks what will Arya do now if she kills the waif afterwards is she going to run away with the theater is it time to leave bravos so plant a flag as he tend to do antonio uh what are we going to get from the Arya storyline if she is able to you know stop the waif if the waif is coming after her if she kills the waif what happens then where does Arya go she still has a few names left on her kill list she still has walder frey she still has cersei she still has the mountain and i do think that there's a good possibility that if she does leave, having seen all that drama that she's seen play out, including things that she was there for and things that she wasn't, I do think that she still has a little bit of an axe to grind there in Westeros. I don't think she killed Arya Stark. I don't think a girl is no one. And so if a girl's not no one and a girl is someone, I think that the someone part of her still definitely has those big three things that she really needs to, to take care of. And I could see her heading back to Westeros 
to ultimately uh, to, to claim those sorts of things. I can see that happening. And I, I think that's way more likely than her joining the theater. Did you like the line? Did you feel it was too meta when the actress is talking to Aria about the theater and she says something like, well, the writing's bad, but you could just have to make do and do the best you can with it. Did you feel like that was the show making comments about itself in any way? No. You, are you saying shots fired? The shade? The I nice know, shade I, of it all? A lot of people. I mean, I, I feel like I've seen, I saw tweets about that. I saw people thinking that this was a little bit of the show poking fun at itself or poking fun at criticisms of the show, basically being like, I'm only as good as what's written for me. You know, like any actor is going to say that. Uh, and I do wonder if there was a little bit of meta there because I thought that, that that whole conversation was great because the act, the actress is talking to Aria about being an actress, but Aria is talking about literally putting on other faces uh, and being an assassin. And I think that that really kind of brought the, the humanity out of Aria a little bit. And I think that humanity is still there. And with that humanity comes a grudge. And so I do see her heading back to Westeros. How about you? All right. Well, I think, you know, listen, I, we're seeing a lot of Starks rallying together in the north or at least getting close to being together. John and Sansa reunited. Now Bran and Benjen have reunited. Uh, it feels unfair if Arya does not get allowed, uh, if she's not allowed a chance to get back to Winterfell and get involved in whatever's going on up there. Yeah, and I mean, she's, she also has a little bit of an axe to grind with something else we heard about in this episode where the Brotherhood Without Banners may still be active. We heard a, a passing comment about how they were robbing and, and ripping people off all around. Uh, and I do wonder, ultimately, if she, you know, she's mad because they sold Gendry uh, to, to Melisandre. So I wonder if she has a role to play there as well. There are a lot of stories that Arya Stark could slot right back into. Uh, and she could have an axe to grind or she could have a grudge that she wants to pick up on. So I think Westeros is a place for her for sure. All right. Let's wrap it there. Uh, you got a good hashtag, Antonio, from what we were talking about <laughs> throughout know. this hour. What do you have? I had Lord Lego. You said uh, DS recaps. Uh, what, what else you got? <laughs> yeah, it was DPS recaps. DPS recaps. That's right. DPS yeah. recaps. So, All right. Give us, a, give us some hashtag Drogon PS recaps. DPS recaps. We like that. I think that that's of, fun. Speaking of post-show recaps, Josh, what... There's, is there something big going on right now with post-show recaps? There is something as big, if not bigger, than Drogon himself happening right now, Antonio. It is it is great times here on post-show recaps. We are very humbled and honored to be nominated for not one, but two awards at the Podcast Awards this year. We are nominated for the People's Choice Award. We are nominated for the TV and film category. It's great stuff. We are very excited. We hope you guys are excited as well. We're going to have some special podcasting coming up to celebrate the nominations and to get talking a little bit more in the coming days uh but voting is open now it opened today you can vote uh once a day at podcastawards.com if you guys feel so inclined to go and vote for us we would be very very honored to have your support but it's very exciting it was really cool uh this this was announced last week voting open today so it's real it's happening that's fantastic it's beautiful it's real it's happening i love it and i'm very thankful i mean i just I, it's awesome to podcast here at post show recaps. We talked about a lot of shows in the past. Josh talked about the leftovers and Fargo and uh, the strain and all of these things. And I feel like it was, all, it was all leading up to these. <laughs> no, we, I think the strain podcast alone is what people really liked about. Post-show Stop. Recaps. Nominated. Yeah, Never Strugoy. again. Do not Never bring again. up the strain. Never again. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Not, not yeah, very happen. thankful, very honored, very humbled. It's fantastic. And uh, I voted Four other podcasts at the Podcast Awards in the past. It's very simple. You go, you enter your email address in, you enter your votes. Sometimes they send you an email saying, verify your votes, and you click a link, and that's it. So uh, you can vote once a day from your email address, and uh, we'd love to have your votes there for the Podcast Awards. 
It would be awesome. We'd be very appreciative of that. So if you like what we're doing, subscribe, posterrecaps.com slash GOT iTunes for the Game of Thrones feed. If you want the main feed, posterrecaps.com slash iTunes is the main feed. Appreciate all your Stark ratings, all of your reviews, all of that good stuff. If you want more Antonio Mazzaro, he is podcasting with me every week about Mr. Robot. We are doing a rewatch of the first 10 episodes of Mr. Robot as we are gearing up for the July 13 premiere of the second season of the show. Really fun stuff. We're a little late on week four this week. That'll be coming your way on Monday or Tuesday, so look out for that. Trippy episode. Going to be really fun. Talk about visions. Lots of visions to unpack in that one, Antonio. Lots of visions. Yeah, Yeah. we're on Robot Road. We're deep. Yeah, we're deep into Robot Road, so you can subscribe to those podcasts as well. PosterRecaps.com slash Mr. Robot iTunes, MR Robot iTunes. Follow Antonio on Twitter. He's at AC Mazar with how many Zs, Antonio? Two Zs, one R. Two Zs, one R. I'm at Round Howard. Give us some hashtag DPS recaps. We would love to hear from you guys if you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back throughout the week. We will have a feedback show coming up with Rob's take on the episode. We'll also have a Game of Thrones book club. There's no Terry Schwartz, our normal host this week. Once again, she's out of the country. So we will have a very, very fun fill-in host on that podcast. I think you're not going to want to miss it. Miss it. Uh, it's going to be really good. Uh, other than that, that's it. Uh, anything else from you, Antonio? No, just uh, thanks for thanks for letting me uh, talk Game of Thrones with you tonight, Josh. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you guys for putting up with us. We will talk to you again in the near future. Take care. Goodbye.